What's up, guys? It is draft season in full swing. We are going back to back. We dropped six prospects last night. We're dropping four more tonight. And who knows? We may drop four or six again tomorrow. We're going three days in a row here at the Ethos Grizzlies podcast draft coverage. Isaac and myself, favorite time of the year, unless, of course, the Grizzlies are playing for a championship, but they're not. So here we are. Isaac, I, I gotta, I gotta say, man, I, every year that I've been doing this, I start studying these prospects. And when you really start digging into these guys, you, you learn a lot. Like one of the guys that we're going to talk about tonight, EJ Lydell, I did not realize how good of a help defender he was and start, until I started digging into video on him and, and his instincts, his athleticism, his length allows him to get back even in the half court to block some shots. And it's just freakish, man. Like I, you know, I'm trying to avoid, like there's guys that I've liked for a while. We talked about Patrick Baldwin Jr. But last year there were a couple guys that I really, I'm like, man, the grid, this dude would fit perfect on the Grizzlies. I hope that they target this guy. And I told myself I wasn't going to do that this year. And then here I am watching these videos and it's like mm, I can just imagine EJ Lydell and Tripp being on the floor and the the way the help defense would be it would just be it'd be nasty that would be pretty tough to score on for sure yeah I think when you start breaking down these guys like again man, a lot of these prospects already had a beat on like I liked a lot of these guys definitely four guys that we talked about we're going to talk about tonight I liked all of these guys but delving into the film I think a couple of these guys I really like even more uh, just, just finding out even more things about them. Cause I watch a lot of college basketball anyway. So I'm familiar with, with most of these prospects. So watching them, watching them in games and stuff is it, it's a little bit different when you start breaking down film and you really dig into their games, see what they do well, see what they don't do well. And, and you can, you can sometimes find out a lot of new stuff uh, about these guys, a lot of new things. And uh, I'm excited to break these prospects down again, man. It's fast and furious, man. That, that draft's going to be here before we know it, man. We're going to try to get in, as many prospects as we can. And um, again, man, I really enjoyed kind of breaking down some of this film this evening and, and, and excited to talk about these guys. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to the guest. I've reached out to a couple of people for next week to try and get some guys on to talk draft. You know that we will have some guests on to talk about draft. We, we have, I guess we're kind of intentionally avoiding the top half of the draft, not that the Grizzlies will not trade it up to get there. We don't know if that will happen, but uh, there's a conversation that we have to have that we will save for a later date. Definitely. Like that, that, the back and forth on that one is going to be uh, pretty interesting. So uh, who do you want to lead off with tonight, man? Um, I'm going to lead off with um, Osha Abazi, uh, 6'6", 217-pound uh, wing out of Kansas senior. Uh, that's kind of what stands out about him, man. You don't usually see – a lot of seniors uh, this this projected this high in the draft. Uh, 22 years old, uh, played in 122 games in Kansas, started 116 of those games. Um, as I said, 6'6", 217 pounds, 6'10", wingspan, um, experience. I mean, that's one of the things that I wrote down. Like I said, man, played 122 games total, started 116 games over four years of career at Kansas. So he's a guy that's coming in, and I wrote down plug and play. Um, I think he's going to be a guy from day one that can come in and, and play for you. And he's a guy that I really like already, but kind of delving into the film, uh, I think I like him even more, man. You look at the numbers, 18.8 points, 5.1 rebounds, 
1.6 assists, uh, still a game, uh, 47.5% overall from the field, 53.4% on two-point shots, 40.7% uh, from three. Uh, that's that's 2.6 uh, makes on 6.5 attempts per game. 103 of 253 overall from three. So he's not one of those guys that you kind of hoping that his three-point shooting projects, you can see it. I mean, that's huge, huge sample size. Shot 253 threes um, in the senior year. I mean, that's the first thing that jumps off on the film for Abaji is the shooting ability. Man, deep, deep range on his jump shot. Uh, uh, like I said, uh, he, he's a, a butterfly knockdown shooter. I don't think there's any question. I mean, you got knocked down under three threes. Two out of 253, 253 threes is a lot of threes um, in, in a college basketball season, man. So he gets them up and, and does it very efficiently. Uh, doesn't need a lot of room to get the shot off. Uh, I mean, it's kind of similar to Steph, man. He moves around a lot. Like, I mean, he's moving around all over the floor trying to get open. And by the time you kind of defense kind of catches up to him, man, next thing you know, he's launching a three and knocking it down. So he puts a lot of pressure on opposing defenses. Um, and also deep defensively, man, he he's also a good defender, uh, big and strong for the two guard position at 6'6", 217, has that 6'10 wingspan, which allows him to play even bigger. Um, he's switchable on defense and able to guard bigger wings. So I think he'll be able to guard two and twos and threes uh, because of that 6'6", size, 217, 6'10 wingspan. Um, and he's more disciplined on the defensive end than most guys uh, coming into the draft. And I think that a lot of that just has to do with his experience, uh, being pretty much a four-year starter. At Kansas, he's, he's been doing it for a while um, and, and played big-time minutes on, on a big-time team. Was the best player on the national championship team. They, they won a national championship last year. He's the best player on that team. So that's a pretty good pretty good pedigree. Um, also, offensively, he's a shooter and a scorer. So you don't – he didn't put up big-time assist numbers, only 1.6 per game. But if you watch the film, I, I think he he definitely has some playmaking ability. Um, I know I liked uh, – when, when I watched him, watched him on the film uh, – you can watch some of the passes that he makes if you, you break down him, mean, setting up teammates, throwing a lob pass. Uh, I, I think he has some playmaking ability as well. Uh, if you kind of look at some of the negatives for him, uh, he's not a bad athlete. Uh, he does have some explosiveness, but really he struggles finishing at the, at the basket, uh, especially out of the half court. Um, he seems like he has a tendency to kind of rush some shots at times inside. He does have a, a floater uh, that, that, that you could tell that he – he got better and better as the season goes on, but uh, I don't think it's a major issue or a red flag, but that's just something that kind of stood out to me on film. Um, he's a solid ball handler, but at times he can try to do a little bit too much and get loose with his dribble. Um, he averaged two turnovers and two assists a game. That's something that he's definitely got to have to kind of clean up. Uh, but again, he's older, experienced player, four-year starter for a really good program at Kansas, best player on the national championship winning team. And if you're coming into this draft looking for – a three and D guy that that's kind of plug and play it from day one that can be that two way player. I, I think I think uh, O'Shea Abaji is a, a guy that can really come in and fill that board. I mean, I loved him even before I started breaking him down and breaking him down. I think he's one of the most complete players in this draft. I think ready from day one and can come in and, and help you on both ends. Yeah, I think some of that's maturity, right? Because playing the four years at Kansas, but. One of the concerns that I had with him is is kind of that that mid-range game and his ability to self-create. I don't disagree that he probably has some playmaking skills that, that we didn't see. When I heard somebody make a comment the other day, and I thought it was fantastic. A lot of these guys that go to premier NCAA teams, you know, you're talking Duke, North Carolina, 
Gonzaga, Kansas, Baylor, Kentucky, you know, whatever. You can run off a, a list of schools that, that are elite in the in basketball. They play inside the system. And so inside of that system, there may be things that they have that are strengths for them that you don't get to see because they are yeah. being a, a team player and they're playing inside that system. And so I, I think because of the system design, because of what he was asked to do, you didn't really get to see a lot of that, the, the playmaking from him. But I, I think that it is there. I, I, I worry about him in the mid-range. I, I, you said, you know, you mentioned his floater, and he has worked on that. That's improved some. But I don't think that that's I, – I feel like that's kind of a, a, a question mark for him. Like, I don't know if it's a confidence thing, if he just, just hasn't shot enough that he, he doesn't have confidence in it yet. But that's one area that, that I'm, I'm worried about with him. I love his catch and shoot ability. He shot like 45%. It was, uh, I, I think it was slightly under 45% on catch and shoot threes this year. And when, when we're breaking down prospects, we're looking at them through the glasses of how are they going to fit with the Grizzlies. And a guy that is a high-quality catch and shoot guy is going to be uh, like a hand-in-glove type fit for the Grizzlies yeah, exactly. because of Ja Morant. And, and he was really, really good from the corner. I didn't find the percentage before I got, like, I didn't finish getting the, the stats on that, but I know that he shot the ball very well from the corner. And that is, you know, NBA, that's where you want to be. You, you want to be able to knock down that corner three, and he can definitely do that. Um I think his athleticism is fine, man. You know, thirty—he had a thirty-nine-inch uh, max oh, yeah. vertical, vertical at the at the combine. So I, you know, like while he's not like that doesn't—that's a great vertical, but you didn't see a ton of crazy explosive plays from him throughout the year. I, I think that he's got that in him as well. I, I think that he would, you know, he's going to be able to run the break. His ability to slide into the passing lanes to make himself available is very. I remember watching Desmond Bain film whenever he was at TCU and how he was able to just slide his feet just a little bit to the left or a little bit to the right just to open up that passing lane so he can get the ball and get that shot off. And and he does that very well. Uh, Abai does that very well. Um, I, I don't know that he's a shooter that Bain was coming out of school, but he's a guy, like you say, day one, some of that's going to be, again, the, the experience playing four years at Kansas. But I think that he's he's an impact player. And you look at draft age, in the past few years, we have witnessed guys fall down because of their draft age. They drop down the board. And, you know, everybody's won an 18 or a 19-year-old. They don't want to draft a 21 or 22-year-old kid coming out of college because of the extra years for development. And the Grizzlies have yeah. capitalized on that. You know, that that's how you – you know, they trade keep, up. They, they keep get, yeah. You know, they, they trade up, they get Brandon Clark, and, and you saw what he was able to do for the Grizzlies in the playoffs this year. And the same thing with Desmond Bain. So, you know, the, you know, have to have 18, 19 year old kid. Surely somebody is watching what the Grizzlies are doing, and, and they're like, okay, hey, we can go out here and get these guys that have played three or four years at college, and they can come in and they can play at a high level early. Look at what, you know, the Pacers drafting um, Duarte. Chris Duarte. Last year. Yeah. yeah, you know, like he, he was an older prospect, but he came in and had a great rookie season for them. 
So that this is a guy I think that he could come in and play rotation minutes right off the bat. I think that he's going to be a good defender right off the bat. He, I wouldn't say that he's an elite defender, but he has all of the physical tools. He's got great footwork, great agility laterally, and, and that six foot ten inch wingspan. Man, when you're a guard, when you're playing on the wing, and you got that kind of wingspan, it's going to allow you to be disruptive, and, and that's something I think you're going to see him grow. Like if he gets in the league and he's willing to accept the role of okay, I'm going to be. Uh, shut down defender on the defensive end, and I'm going to get to my spots for these catch-and-shoot threes, he, he will excel in that and be in the league for a long time. Yeah, you, you talk about the age thing. Uh, I think you're seeing a little of that with Keegan Murray, uh, who is possibly my favorite prospect in this entire draft, especially kind of looking through it through Grizz-colored glasses. I think he'd be a tremendous fit on this team. I, I don't think they're going to be able to get up high enough to be in range to draft him, but you're hearing a lot of that with Keegan Murray. I think he's 23. Uh, and you hear a lot of old jokes with him, but I think he's so good that he's still going to end up going in, in the top seven uh, somewhere in, in that range. But, yeah, I mean, I think the Grizzlies have shown, whether you talk about Brandon Clark or Desmond Bain, that they've had a lot of success for that with that. And I think a lot of teams are, are going to start looking at that and, and, and kind of change their philosophy. But you brought up a great point about uh, guys uh, fitting in systems, especially when you're talking about big-time programs. I think they even take that farther. When you see a guy like Abaji, who was the best player on that team, a lot of times when you look at their weaknesses, it's it, when they get to the NBA, they're not going to be in that role. They're not going to be the, the number one guy, the number one option. So a lot of those things that you see might not be as big of a problem at the next level because with him being the best player on the team and defense the keying in on him, he's the number one guy. He's at times has to bail him out of stuff. He's trying to do more than he would have to do on another level. And sometimes that, that brings up some weaknesses that might not be it's loud, so to speak, on, on the NBA level because they're not going to be in a position to have to do certain things. So that's kind of one thing that I've learned and started looking at that film that, again, especially when you're talking about a guy that's the number one option on that team, especially big-time teams, that that's kind of something that you have to put in perspective. Yeah. Do you have any concerns with him about his free throw percentage? You know, we, I know that we – people are probably going to start making fun of me about the free throw thing. But, you know, like – it's it's so weird to me when you're watching these guys that shoot the ball so well from deep, and then and then their free throw percentage is just not where you expect it to be. So is that something that concerns you with him at all? Yeah, man. When I was looking at his numbers, I was thinking the same thing. We talked about Kennedy Tanner last last night. Uh, a guy that's only shooting like sixty percent uh, from the free throw line, and he's a pretty good pretty good shooter. Can even knock it out out the three point range. And you look at uh, Abaji, who was a really good three-point shooter, even deep three-point shooter, and only shooting 74.3% from the free throw line. And it's, it's, it's head scratch. Um, I, I guess, like you said, it kind of goes back to, to what Brevin said, that it's a, the free throws are a different shot. I mean, it's, it's a, a, a shot where you, you're not in rhythm. You just kind of stand there and shoot the basketball. And I think with a lot of these guys, it, it has to be mental. Because with Abaji, there's definitely not, nothing wrong with his release. I mean, he, he's a really, really good shooter. So it's definitely not that. I just think it has to be some kind of mental block or focus when they go to the free throw line. Uh, but anytime a guy can shoot the basketball the way that he's able to, you think you get into NBA and get NBA shooting coaching. And I think they can, they can get their free throw shooting up. But yeah, man, 74.3, man, with a guard, you want that to be a little bit higher than that, man. I like guys to be up at 80%. I mean, I think that's what you, what you really want to see, especially for a guy that can shoot the basketball the way he can, man. It's just no excuse to, to not be shooting 80% from the free throw line. Yeah. Yeah, I agree, man. 
So we'll move on from him. Uh, my, my first guy that I, I wanted to talk about tonight, and, you know, I, I mentioned one of them already, my second one, but I, I'm actually going to start with Kendall Brown from Baylor. And uh, he's six foot eight, six foot 11 wingspan. Crazy explosive, 41 inch max, yep. max vertical, high basketball IQ. Just, I, I like at his size, I like his playmaking ability. I like he, because of his vertical, because of his athleticism, you see him grab the rebound and like that inside out pass to, you know, offensive rebound, kick out to the three. You saw that multiple times on film from him because he uses that size, that length, and that vertical to get up there and get the ball and then find somebody. You know, he, he does a great job finding the guy outside on the wing to knock down a three. Extremely high motor. The, the one thing, like one knock that I would have on him is his form. He's got kind of – it's – I was going to call yeah. it a hitch, but it's not a hitch. It's kind like of a weak his hand in. Yeah, yeah, yeah like I know he, what you're talking about. If he catches it high, if he catches it – like at chest or shoulder level, he's dipping the ball down about to, I'd say, upper abdomen area and then going up with his form. And I think that that's something that he's going to have to work on moving into the NBA because you've got to be able to speed up that release. You're playing against bigger, stronger, faster competitors, and so they're going to be able to close out on you a little bit faster. So not a great three-point shooter. That's definitely something that he would need to work on. But his versatility on the defensive end, you know, that 6'8 that with the big wingspan, I think that he could guard one through four with his lateral quickness without problems right off the bat. And if he put on a little bit more weight, put a little more muscle, you, he could even do uh, some, some small ball five. And that's in the playoffs, you look at what the, the Grizzlies ran into with the Warriors, having a guy that, that's, that is that versatile – is going to be important. You already have Jaron that is a switchable defender. If you get a guy like Kendall Brown in with this defense, you're going to add another switchable defender. And we've discussed the uh, the stuff with Dylan. Are they going to keep him? Is he going to get moved? What's going on with him? And if you are moving him, do you have that wing defender on your team to lock down the best player? Maybe that's Zaire. Maybe that's Desmond Bain. We don't know. I would say right now, if you move Dylan, you don't have that lockdown wing defender on the team. And so looking to replace that wing defender, Kendall Brown, I think, could be a good fit from day one. Yeah, Kendall Brown, it's an interesting dynamic because uh, we we just got done talking about a guy like Ochao Baji, um, who you kind of feel like is plug and play. Uh, with, with Kendall Brown, Kendall Brown is a guy who – and you look at these mocks, and we talked about this last night. Guys are all over the place. Like, I've seen Kendall Brown up in the top 10 in some box, and I've also seen him down where 21 22 uh, in some box. So, there's wide range. These mocks are very, very different. There's no consensus um, on, on a lot of these guys, especially these guys inside the top 25 or so. They're all over the place, and Kendall Brown's definitely one that you see him lower and higher in box, but he definitely has some things to work on. But if you watch him on film, definitely, definitely a lot to like. Uh, like you said, at 6'8, 201. Uh, 6'11", wingspan, still super young, um, 19 years old. You have pretty much a lot of the same uh, notes that I have. I'm a big-time, big-time elite athlete, explosive, uh, big-time vertical. He's quick. He can really, uh, offensively, he definitely has a lot of room to grow there. But one thing that you do notice is that he can really blow by guys to get to the basket. Uh, yeah. that, that first step, man, he can just quick, boom, he's to the basket. He's throwing it down. So he's always a lob threat. So you imagine playing with a point guard like John Moran and what that could lead to. 
uh, like I said, still needs to develop on other aspects of his offensive game. Needs to get stronger, as you said, as he can struggle at times against bigger, stronger guys. I've seen some guys really kind of work him over a little bit. Man, you definitely got to get in that weight room. Uh, but but I think as he puts on weight, six five with that length, I think he'll eventually be a, a really good defender um, in the NBA. And on his shot, doesn't really have a quick release uh, on his shot. Doesn't always get a lot of arc on it. Um, and, and you look at his three-point numbers, 34.1%. That's not terrible, but it's kind of a small sample size. They're only 14 of 41 overall. Um, and didn't even get one up, one up a game. 0.4 uh, makes the one point. We, one of, we did shoot 1.2 a game, only 0.4 makes per game. So not a big sample size there. Like I said, only shot 41 overall on the season. Uh, but he's pretty much right now, offensively, he's pretty much all transition um, in the half court. Uh, right now, I think he kind of struggles to create, but there's a lot of potential there, um, especially on, on the defensive end. And I think if, if he continues to work on his shot, I think he's a guy that I think will be capable of knocking down three. I don't know if he'll ever be a knockdown three-point shooter, but I think his biggest biggest uh, dividends will be paid on the defensive end. And I think that's where he has the most potential. And, and I think that's what a lot of teams are looking at because, again, you see him up in the top 10, top 12 in a lot of these mocks. And, you get you go back to a guy like Obaji that I think is plug and play. I think looking at Kendall Brown, I think people see the size, the wingspan, and, and the potential, and I think that's what they're looking at with him because I think potential-wise, he could eventually one day be a lockdown defender. We were talking about uh, Atari Eason on the last episode, and, and I think you know when you're comparing prospects and, and you're discussing how these guys that like the variance in between them. To me, looking at what uh, Kendall Brown is able to do, he can finish with either hand. You know, like he, he's not a, a self-creation type player, but when he when he does get downhill, there's plenty of evidence of him being able to finish with his left and his right hand as where Tari Eason is only going to be able to finish right-handed, like a, at least early on. Like early on, that he's going to have to put work in to be able to get to that left hand because everything that you see from him in college, it was terrible. He just looked awful left-handed, and that's not something that you see from Kendall Brown. So I think the skill sets are very similar between those two guys, and to me, I, I would almost lean Kendall Brown there just because yeah, of his ability to, to, to finish with either hand. And that's, you know, maybe you can look at, at what, what Eason is doing and say, okay, that's something that we can coach and we feel like, you know, the build, the, you know, the, the way that he's got, like, the muscle on his frame, you think that he's going to develop into more? And you could absolutely have that argument. I don't know one way or the other. But right now, if you're looking more polished, that's easily Kendall Brown. Yeah, I, I think I definitely agree with that. Um, and, and, again, man, I think, as you said, I think he's a guy that could, could, could guard one through four. Uh, like you said, probably even play some small ball five for you as he develops. And, and as you said, that's big in the playoffs. And you think of – having a guy like that next to Jerry and, and how dangerous that could be defensively. I mean, I, I think Kendall Brown is a really, really good prospect. Again, I think he's a guy that might take a little bit more time than, than some of the other guys that we discussed. But when you look at that potential, uh, he, he's one of, I think, one of the guys that the potential is off the charts and it could really, really pay dividends down the line for you. So it just depends on if you're looking for a guy that you could plug in day one and, and be a, a big time player for you or, a guy that contributes early or a guy that you're willing to, to get in there and put some work in. I mean, all these guys are going to need work. I mean, this is – I don't really think this is a superstar draft. I think most of these guys are going to need some time to develop certain, certain areas of their game. 
Uh, but I, I think it just depends on what you're looking for, a guy that can come in immediately, like I said, or, or a guy that you put the work in and, and pay dividends for you down the line. And I think Kendall Brown fits into that latter category. Uh, so it just depends on what you want in the prospect. But, again, if I'm the Grizzlies and he's there at, at 22, he's definitely someone to be on my radar. Yeah, yeah, I, I've seen like as low as, as late first round. And I don't think – you never know who's going to climb up boards. Guys always – you know, you yeah. see, see guys every year that come flying up boards and, and you wonder you you know, who, who's going to fall because in order for people to rise, somebody's going to fall. So that that is – you know, and, and, and it's so – I think this year more so than last, like I, I feel like last year, like probably the top maybe 10, 10 or 11 guys, like you you had a decent idea of, of who was going where, and then it kind of opened up. And I think this one is kind of after four, it, it really yeah. opens up because you don't know which way that, you know, you, you can justify taking a guy like Jalen Duran if, if you're setting – setting at six as the Pacers and you're just not in love with, with Keegan Murray, what's wrong with taking Duran and they've got, I they've got Isaiah Jackson. So that's a terrible example. They're probably not going to do that, but he has the talent. Like once you get past the top four prospects in this draft from probably five or six to 25 or 30, you've got a lot of guys that can go anywhere because of their skill set. So Man, yeah, I, I mean, uh, go ahead. I was gonna say, yeah, I mean, they're always guys that are projected to go really high. A couple guys usually that end up falling lower than you expect, and there are always a couple guys that end up rising higher than you expect to go. And I think this draft could be wild because, like you said, outside of the top four, you got uh, Jabari Smith, Chet Holmgren, Paola Benchero, Tate Ivy. After that, I mean, you could throw these guys in a hat from like five to to twelve. I mean, you look at these guys where you're talking about Satan Sharp, Keith Murray. Uh, A.J. Griffin, I mean, you got Johnny Davis, uh, Dyson Daniels, uh, Benedict Maturin, uh Jeremy Sochan, Jalen Duran. I mean, when you look at that, that crop of players, I think people could have a myriad of opinions on those guys. Some could really love some of those guys. Some could not like some of those guys. I don't think there's a big separation uh, between that group of players. So I think after the top four, we could see some wild stuff in this draft. But I don't think anybody really knows. And I think that's why you kind of see these mocks all over the place, because I think this is a draft where I think it's extremely hard to mock unless you're really talking to these teams and kind of getting a sense of what they like and who they like in certain spots. Because outside of that, I think trying to base it on talent, I think it's going to be really hard to do in this draft. Yeah, a couple of the guys that we talked about last night are, are guys that you, you could see go flying up the board. And, you know, Nikolajovic, uh, Uzman Jang, yeah, both of those guys sure. have the tools, they have the talent, the size, the length to – be up there. You know, if, if a team takes them in the lottery, I don't think that that's the craziest thing because either one of those guys could turn out to be lottery talent. So it, it's I, – I just love the draft. I love watching and seeing, you know, guys who you think are going to go. And then, you know, Ty Ty Washington, the, the variance, he's one guy that I have seen him go as early as top ten – and then I've seen him fall out of the first round in mock drafts. So it's it, – I don't know. To me, I don't know how you can justify letting him fall that far. But, you know, team executives may see that differently. So going to be a, a, probably a lot of moving pieces on draft night to see who goes where, who falls, who rises, and what happens. 
the next prospect that uh, that we're going to break down, EJ Liddell, I kind of talked about him a little bit at the beginning of the show and how as I'm watching film from this guy and then watching him defensively, his athleticism, first off, he had the, the highest standing vert at the combine at 35 and a half inches and then 38 inch max vertical. He's already an elite help defender. And that is the length. I think that we can just dub this episode the wingspan episode because we got nobody in this episode that's got a wingspan less than six foot. Uh, yeah. Like, just big, long wings on this episode. And I like, like, he, you're already seeing the production from him on the defensive end. He averaged 3.2 stocks per game in college, very high basketball IQ. And one of my favorite things, like his ability to block shots is incredible because of that length. But he does a really, really good job of staying vertical and not committing those fouls. A lot of times, and Grizzly fans, you know this because of Jaron. Jaron's an elite shot blocker, but Jaron gets himself in trouble sometimes because he's trying to block everything. And EJ is a guy that does a great job staying vertical to where even if he doesn't block the shot, he's going to make them alter their shot and make it tougher on them to finish. He's a great passer for his size. He averaged 19, 8, and 3 assists this year. Uh, 77% from the free throw line is a bigger guy. 37% from three on four attempts. And 80%, so like again, we're mentioning catch and shoot from Ja Morant, 80% of his threes this year were catch and shoot. They were assisted on. And so that's something he can come in and be ready. Like he can he can plug into the offense, play that catch and shoot. Taylor Jenkins, we've watched them with Desmond Bain in his rookie season. And then this year with Zaire Williams, the rookies did not have a lot to do offensively they were kind of, you know, park in the corner and be ready to catch and shoot. And so EJ Liddell, if that's something, our Liddell, if that's something that they want to do with him, he can excel in that. And I'm just salivating at the, the thought of him and Jaron being on the floor at the same time because of, like, both of them are elite help defenders and them being able to get down and protect the paint, protect the rim, I, I think it would be – an insane combination what's up guys it's david before we go any further i've got to take a couple moments here to tell you about our new partner at ethos grizzlies ember and valor ember and valor specializes in beard care products let them take your beard to the next level with their easy two-step process you get started with the beard oil to condition your skin and prevent the dreaded beard itch you finish it off with Ember and Valor's Beard Balm to condition and shape your beard. Go over to emberandvalor.com right now and use promo code ETHOSGRIZ for 25% off. Let them get you the beard you've always wanted. Emberandvalor.com, E-M-B-E-R-A-N-D-V-A-L-O-R.com, promo code ETHOSGRIZZLIES for 25% off. I've got to run it by you one more time. I can't allow you to miss it. 25% off at emberandvalor.com right now using our promo code ethosgrizz. That's E-T-H-O-S-G-R-I-Z-Z at emberandvalor.com for 25% off of all of their products. Ember and Valor makes all of their products using all natural ingredients. 
Get over there. Check them out. Use the promo code. Let them know we sent you. You will not be disappointed. Emberandvalor.com. Look good. Feel good. Yeah, EJ Liddell and the last guy that we're going to talk about, these are two guys. I put a list out on Twitter of players that I really like for the Grizzlies if they were to stay at 22 and 29. And both of these guys, if you kind of look at both mock consist- consistently, they're in that range. I mean, you expect both of these guys to possibly be there at, at 22 and 29. And these are guys that I really like. Like I said, I had both of these guys on the list. Uh, but after watching film on them, I think I like them, both of them even more. Uh, EJ Dell experienced man, a junior out of Ohio State. So he's 21 years old, grown man. I, I wrote that down, man. 6'7, 243 pounds, seven foot wingspan. Um, like I said, another experienced guy, uh, like that had been stated three years at Ohio State. Uh, strong NBA body, uh, built like a tank. Uh, he can really bully smaller wings to the basket. Uh, guys kind of bounce off of him and he can, can bully and push guys to the basket. And, and you mentioned. He's only 6'7", but he gets a lot of rebounds, almost eight rebounds a game uh, because of his size and strength. Um, and like you said, stays does a good job of staying vertical when he's blocking shots, so he doesn't shot, doesn't pick up the fouls, and that's kind of something that we've seen with Jared. Now, we'll see if that translates to the next level, but he did a really good job of that at Ohio State. Uh, gives defensive problems because even though he's a big guy, he, he's quick. Uh, he, can, he can move his feet. Uh, a good ball handler. I mean, you can see him get the basketball, push up the floor, and finish. Three-level score is something that I really like, man. He can score the basket. He can do it mid-range. And he can also knock down a three-point shot. Uh, can create his own shot. I mean, you just don't see a lot of guys at that size that can do that. Uh, he's a guy that you can – you have a broken possession. He's a guy that you can throw it down low. And like I said, with his size and strength, he can push guys and, and get you a bucket in those situations. I think vertical athleticism uh, is kind of one thing that I, I can't worry about with him a little bit. I think he's not an above-the-rim guy. So I think on the NBA level, he's creative at getting shots at the rim, but I think he's going to have to get even more creative uh, because I think you have a tendency to get your shot block if you're not a vertical athlete. And I think that that's going to be – could be an issue for him potentially on the NBA level. I don't think it's like a big red flag or anything, but that's just something I noticed when, he, when he's at the basket, doesn't get up super high on his shots. And at times he'll put up questionable shots. I mean, and that kind of goes back to my point earlier, when you're the best player – on a team, especially on a college level, and you're asked to do more, a lot of times you're going to put up bad shots because you, you feel like you need to bail, bail your team out. When you get in the NBA, he's probably not going to be in those positions, so that might not be as big of a problem. Uh, but for, for him, man, I, I think I love him as a prospect, and I think he would fit in really well with this Grizzlies team. Um, again, man, an experienced guy that I feel like from day one that can come in and, and do some things for you on both ends. And especially when you're picking at 22-29, I think that's what you want. The Grizzlies have done a good job of, of taking these older guys, like we said, with Bain and, and Brandon Clark, and they would take take Liddell. Um, he's 21 coming in, a guy that, that's a two-year starter, uh, three-year player, two-year starter at, at, on, a, on a good Ohio State team. I think I, I, mean, I think he'd be a great pick. One other thing that I noticed on his shot, he, he's a good three-point shooter, but on the ones that he misses, he they, they seem to they have a tendency to be line drives. Like, he's a – hit the front rim or they hit back rim is not and he doesn't usually miss left or right uh but I, I think that so i think that's even better than a guy that's just missing shots all over the place i think that can be coached out uh because i mean he's usually on target it's usually when he misses them it hits front it hits back iron it hits front rim so 
he, he doesn't always get enough arc on his shot. But I, again, man, uh, he shot what did he shoot? Uh, Thirty-seven percent from three in, in a pretty good sample size. Uh, Forty-six to one twenty-three. Uh, so we got one hundred twenty-three threes up. So he's another guy that, as I talked about earlier, that's not a guy that you look at that that shot twenty-five threes and, and made four to ten of them, and you're like, okay, well, he's shooting whatever thirty-seven percent. But is that going to translate? I mean, he's a guy that put up a lot of threes. Pretty good sample size to feel like you're pretty sure that he's going to be a pretty good shooter. Again, man, just cut down on those line drive shots. I did see some of those, but I mean, I, there's a lot to like with him. And again, man, grown man, NBA body, which, and I think that's going to allow him to, to step in and do some things. And I think you get him down at 22, 29, man, I, I think you're doing pretty good. Yeah. And, you know, I, I talked about Kendall Brown, maybe playing the small ball five. EJ is definitely more equipped because of his size, because of that strength. You know, he's not any tall. He's actually shorter than Kendall Brown, but he's significantly stronger. And when you're playing a small ball five, you need to be strong because you're going to need to get in there and bang for the rebounds. And and he's got it. He's got that. So that's going to be uh, – Nar, that it's going to be – I'm calling the Grizzlies drafting him already. But it would be a great fit for the Grizz. And, on, you know, honestly, with the Grizzlies, barring Jaron Jackson being in foul trouble, you don't need a small ball five. You can play Jaron – at the yeah. five, and he can switch on everything. He'll be fine regardless of who he switches on. And so, you know, getting another guy that's capable of doing that would just make your defense so much more versatile. Uh, that that is uh, that's something I hope I hope we see. I was trying not to uh, fall in love with prospects and, and and hope that the Grizzlies go after them, but here we are, the second episode in, and it's happening already. So, man, we will uh, – th- this episode's just going to naturally be a little bit shorter because we're only covering four prospects. We'll wrap it up here with Isaac's second guy out of Duke, Mr. Wendell Moore. Isaac, I'll let you lead off. What do you like about him? Well, a couple more things on, on Liddell, man, before we get up, go get on the window. Um, another thing, man, from all accounts, man, great, great locker room guy, leader, uh, and, and does things the right way. Um, so I think that's – a Another positive with him, again, getting these older guys, man, I don't have any problem with it. If these other teams want to take these 18-, 19-year-olds, it's going to take a couple years. Let them keep doing it, man. We'll take all the Desmond Baines, the Brandon Clarks we can get, man. I mean, that's how you build your roster. Uh, you got guys coming in that contribute for you on rookie contracts, man. That's that's how you can, can build a championship team. But uh, one more junior, man, is a guy that I liked a lot anyway. But watching film on him this, this evening and, and, and over the last couple of days, man, I'm – Planting my flag, man. 22-29, if he's there, man, I will, I'll hope the Grizzlies take it, man. 6'6", 217 pounds, 7-foot wingspan. She said junior out of Duke, 20 years old. Uh, started all 39 games for Duke this past season. Uh, averaged 13.4 points, 5.3 rebounds, 4.4 assists, 1.4 steals, uh, 50% from the field, 54.4% on two-point shots, 80.5% from the free throw line. You like that? 41.3% from three on 3.2 attempts per game. Uh, 52 of 126 overall. Uh, the first thing that stands out uh, to me with Moore is his defense. Uh, moves really well laterally, uh, which allows him to, to close off driving lanes of the opposing players as really quick hand, so he gets a lot of deflections, and he's another guy that will be switchable um, on defense at the next level. Um, I, I think he, he can guard two, threes, fours uh, for you. Uh, him being 6'6", 217 with a seven-foot wingspan, it'll allow him to, to, that ability to, to guard bigger players. Um, and I believe he'll be an NBA defender from day one. I wrote down Pest, relentless, uh, a guy that really gets into uh, the opposing players' jersey, kind of Dylan Brooks-esque in that way. 
uh, in the way he's kind of a dogged defender where he's all over guys. Um, he really, like, really cuts off driving lanes. Like I said, he has, he has good length uh, that allows him to do that. Uh, but when you look at him on the offensive end, his offense isn't bad at all, uh, but he isn't quite as developed uh, on that end of the floor as he is defensively. But he's really good in transition. A lot of that action is off of those open court uh, deflections that he gets. Uh, he gets those steals and gets out and finishes to get up the court quickly. Uh, played really, he, he played really well off Morant uh, because he has some flashing ability. I think that there'd be a lot of assists there for, for, uh, for Morant the way he can get to the basket. Um, and as his handle continues to improve, uh, I've, I've watched a lot of film when watching the film on him. I think he's a guy that could eventually be a guy that can play on ball. Um, I really do think that's something that he'll be able to do as he continues to develop. And, man, I, I'm just a big fan of his. Man, if his offense catches up to his defense, man, I think he's going to be a, a problem. I mean, I just love a lot of things. The motor um, is there. I mean, I just think the, the, on both ends of the floor, man, I think he has a, a chance to be a two-way player for you. And watching film on him, man, I fell in love with him. And he's a guy, like I said, along with Liddell, those are two guys that I think fit perfectly on this Grizzlies team. And, again, man, I wouldn't be surprised to see any of these guys end up on Bill Street. Yeah, I one of the things that I wrote down as I'm, you know, watching film and making notes on him, I, I put down secondary playmaker with a question mark because, you know, you, you rattled off his assist numbers. I think yeah, he averaged four assists this year. Yeah. And, and so there's definitely flashes of it there. Um, you know, I think that his handle's probably good enough that he, he's going to be safe in the NBA, like as a like a secondary. But it's kind of you look at um, DeAnthony Melton, and I think that that Moore's handle is definitely better than his. But you know, Melton, if he's not the primary ball handler, he does okay, right? Like if it's just periodic ball handling, he can make good decisions put passes in the right spot. But if he's the primary ball handler, it gets a little scary. And, and I think that would be the case at least early on for more. But I, I think that's something that you could see him improve on, and he could definitely be a, a great secondary playmaker. Uh, I wrote down quick hands, and you you said pest. I wrote that down as well. Like, he, he does a great job. Um, the, the reach round, like poke, like poking yeah. out from behind and then getting out on the break. I saw him do that a number of different times on films, just, you know, getting in the right spot, not not fouling, you know, the, the offensive player and knocking that ball loose. So the Grizzlies, since Zach Kleiman and this front office have taken over, they target high basketball IQ guys that are versatile defenders. And I, I feel like he definitely fits a – like – out of the four that we've talked about today, the last two that we've discussed, they definitely fit the bill. They they 100%. fit as you know the the guys that this front office seems to target. Both of these guys fit the bill, and so whatever happens in the draft, if they're going to be available, if Climbing and company likes them well enough that they're willing to move up to get them, that may be a possibility as well. And as you can see from you know the, the stuff with Santi Aldama last year. If they think that there's a suitor in front of them that could possibly take them, they're going to do what they can do to move up and get their guy. And I'm all about that. If if he's your guy, then he's your guy. You know, regardless of where you're picking. I saw a conversation earlier today about taking somebody with the seventh pick, and they're like, "Well, I don't know. That seems a little bit too early for him. I don't know if I would take him there." 
I would probably try to trade back. Well, if you trade back, there's no guarantee that your guy is going to be there. If you're inside your draft room, that is your guy, whether you got picked seven or 17 or whatever, wherever you're at, to me, if you're locked in and you know that this is the best fit for your team and you're confident in their abilities, just draft them where you're at. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. I've always felt that way. People are said, oh, well, because you're looking at mock drafts, and those are mock drafts. Like, these, they don't have – most of these mock drafts, they're not based on inside info. They're just kind of uh, consensus thoughts on, on, on talent level and, and where these guys are. But, I mean, if, if you're in the front office, you have conviction on the guys that you want, and if you're at that spot and that's the guy you want, go ahead and take I mean, that's kind of how I feel about that. Uh, but, I mean, I think this is going to be – a a super interesting draft because, like you said, I think in the, in the last couple of years, there's been more of a consensus of, of where guys going. But I think after this four, man, I, I think guys could be all over the place. And I think when you get out 22 and 29, there could be some guys that you expected to be there to be gone already. But I think there could also be guys that you didn't expect to be there that, that are sitting there right there for you. Uh, so I think that's what makes this fun, man. I love the draft, man. I, and I'm, man, I can't wait uh, to, to see what the Grizzlies do, man. I hate that they, didn't end up getting that Lakers pick, man. We would have been in a, they would have been in a super, super uh, advantageous position, man. I have three picks in this first first round because I mean there would have been so many different things they could do uh, with, with with being in that position, having those two late first and also a, a lottery pick there at the bottom of the lottery uh, would have would have been awesome to see. So I hate that they mixed that missed out on that because that would have made them super flexible. But I think it's still still going to be fun because I think Climate and company have, have shown that if they want to go and do something. They go out and make a move and get it done. So that that that's why this front office is, is fun. I think this draft is going to be be fun, man. I think I think they're going to be do something. I don't. If if I had to bet, I don't think they just pick at twenty two and twenty nine. If I had to bet today, yeah, I, you know, we, we talked about it with Candice on uh, the last show that she was on, and, and I think it was pretty much uh, across the board. We don't feel like there's any way that the Grizzlies execute all three picks that they have. They're either going to combine two of them and move up or, you know, combine them, get future assets for them. I just – I don't think that there's any way that they make – I wouldn't be shocked if they only make one pick in this draft, honestly. The, the, the comments about putting yourself in the best position to win, moving these assets to go out and get a guy that's going to put you in that position – I don't know that you can necessarily guarantee that's coming from the draft when you could use it. There's there's so many teams right now that are kind of in a transition spot that have guys that could be pieces to help push the Grizzlies over the edge, whether the, the Grizzlies go out and make that move for a vet or if they move up in the draft because they do feel like uh, one of these guys can push them over to, you know, over the top. They're not going to be scared to do it. No, not, not at all. I mean, I think they've shown that. I mean, you talk about last year where they jumped back in the first round uh, to take Santi Aldama. I can't remember what team that they thought was. Was it Utah or Oklahoma City? Uh, it was, I think it was one they, of those two teams. Tra- they traded with Utah to get back in. So, I, I think well, – it must have been okay. I think it must have been OKC. There. I think they yeah, thought it was Indiana. Either, uh, o- OKC or Indiana. Might have been – yeah, it might have been Indiana that they felt yeah. that he had a had a problem. So I think it was both of those teams. I think he said he had talked to – to both of those teams and they really liked them. And, and I think Grizzlies you had that intel on that, man. They jumped back in the first round and it made him a guaranteed player uh, to, to, to jump up and take him. So I think that shows you 
jumping back in to get Bain, making the trade to get Brandon Clark. When they want guys, man, they have shown the propensity to go out and get them. Um, so I, I don't think that's going to change anytime soon, man. I, as I always say, they're proactive instead of reactive. Um, and that's something that, that we didn't see from the previous front office. And, and that's what you got to love about executive of the year, uh, King Zach Kleiman, uh, here with the Memphis Grizzlies. Yes, sir. It feels good to have confidence in that front office as you watch so many other teams that don't have that. So many other fan bases don't get to enjoy that. So great spot to be in. We will wrap the show up here. Isaac, you got anything else you want to discuss before we get out of here, man? Oh, man, I think we we pretty much got it covered, man. All four of these prospects uh, that we talked about tonight, I think, are guys that would fit really well on this Grizzlies roster. Um, if you kind of look at their M.O., uh, like you said, guys that are switchable on defense, guys that, that play hard, um, guys that do things the right way. I think I think all four of these guys kind of fit that bill. So it, it'll be interesting to see if either of these four guys uh, end up in a Grizzlies uniform, but I could definitely see it. So I, I, I'm going to do a, a little bit of a shout-out here. We've been shouting out Candace and her show. It's going to be going live. It's actually, She's got some episodes up on iTunes already for the Seahawks podcast for here at Sports Ethos. If you are interested in covering a major league baseball team or an NFL team, holler at me. I'm on Twitter at David W2111. Sports Ethos is expanding. We're getting, we've got basketball. Our baseball division is up and running. Uh, Joe is doing a great job over there with fantasy baseball. And then we have JP heading up the football division. He's already, you know, pumping out content for football. Football is not that far away. Now is the time to be doing the study and to find out, you know, where you can get value in your fantasy football draft. So we have the fantasy guys in place, but if you want to be a team coverage person via podcast for any MLB or NFL team that is not already taken, holler at me on Twitter at David W2111, and we can talk about making that happen. You can get the show on Twitter at Ethos Grizz. We appreciate you guys tuning in. We will be back tomorrow, more than likely. Hopefully, we we doing four or six tomorrow, Isaac. Where's it at, man? Man, let, let's hit six, man. Let's keep, All right. let's keep it going. The three apiece from each of us tomorrow. We are looking forward to it. Isaac, let them know where they can find you and get us out of here, man. Yeah, man, you can find me on Twitter at Isaac underscore Rivals. It's I-S-A-A-C underscore Rivals. As David said, we'll be back uh, tomorrow night, breaking out six more prospects man so we're enjoying this man i want to thank everyone for rocking with us uh hope you're enjoying this as much as we are uh, because we, we love doing this and we love coming out to our tent we'll be right back tomorrow night